initials for all writers. Penn was founded in 1921 in London by John Galsworthy, who became its first international president. American Penn was founded in 1922 with Booth Tarkington as its first president. Among other presidents of American Penn were Robert Frost, Dorothy Thompson, Marchette Shute, B.J. Shute, and Leonid Dell. The present president of International Penn is the old novelist, V.S. Pritchett. The present president of American Penn is the young novelist, Jerzy Kosinski. Penn has over 80 centers in 60 countries of Europe, North and South America, Asia, and Africa. World membership is around 10,000. American Pen, which has its headquarters in New York but draws its members from all over the United States, has 1,500 members. Membership is by invitation of the membership committee, extended to published writers of demonstrated accomplishment. What is Pen for and what does Pen do? Pen exists to promote worldwide friendship and intellectual cooperation among men and women of letters. Pen is a purely literary association working in a practical way on all matters of concern to writers generally. Better protection of literary copyrights, better deals for translators, workshops for beginning writers in underprivileged areas, lectures and receptions for foreign authors coming here. Penn has no politics, but it is against the imprisonment of writers for political reasons, and Penn members in the Penn Charter pledge themselves, quote, to oppose any form of suppression of freedom of expression, in the country and community to which they belong. Penn is therefore against all censorship of the written word. Talking with each other today on WNYC radio under the auspices of Penn are Alice Denham and Amory de Riancourt. Alice Denham has written two novels, My Darling for the, for the, from the Lions and the second which has just appeared, Ammo. She is a Penn member and her fiction and articles have appeared in Cosmopolitan, The Village Voice, Playboy, and other magazines. Amory de Riancourt's Sex and Power in History, his latest book, is an all-inclusive interpretation of history as seen through the interplay of the sexes. Amory de Riancourt's impressive book, 469 pages long, shows how overemphasis on the masculine component in Western society threatens to destroy the very foundations of that society. And he shows how China and India, by reconciling the patriarchal and matriarchal elements, have avoided the dichotomy brought about by the male concept of linear as against cyclical history. Amory de Riancourt has traveled extensively in Tibet and in the East, and is the author of The Soul of China, The Soul of India, and several other books. Alice Denham and Amory de Riancourt are going to discuss whether sexual discrimination has helped or hindered humanity. Alice Denham, your latest book, Amo, shows male chauvinism in today's context. Do you think male chauvinism affects our contemporary society? Yes, I do indeed, Anne. And I think when I was a young person coming here to New York, I had no idea how much it affected it or even what it was. In my novel, Amo, Amo, like myself, comes here to become a novelist and also to get a job at the level for which she's qualified and finds that she cannot. Now, when I was a young woman, I didn't know why this was because I came here with a master's degree and Phi Beta Kappa in undergraduate school and three college scholarships and had written radio copy. Well, I came to New York and I couldn't get a job. And like most women back then, I thought it was a personal inadequacy. 
I didn't realize that this happened to all women. So as the way I'm using it in my novel, Amo is that because she wants to become a serious writer, is then forced to find any occupation that will support her, so she becomes a model. Now by doing that, even though it's purport, it purports to be glamorous, and many women, especially back then, thought it was, she puts herself into a sex object category that's even stronger than that that other women are in and suffers the consequences of that. And the consequences, in a sense, are that, in a sense, you're on a pedestal, but you're on a pedestal only physically because people want your body. And then if they can't have that, they have very bad reactions against it. And also, they treat you simply as a physical object. Yes? If this is true, how is it that so many women have been successful novelists in the past 200 years? I don't really think so many have. Well, I suppose that's I suppose the number that had the talent to make it. No, I'll tell you why I don't really think it's that, because this has happened to me and it's happened to most of the women novelists that I know. When you write your first novel, even if you get good reviews, you do not become a member of the male club. Now, the men novelists that are published who get fairly good reviews become automatic members of the male literary club. I think you And the women, on the other hand, in articles and reviews and mentions between their first two novels, they are seldom mentioned. The men are continually mentioned so that by their second novel, they're on that middle level of acceptance, whereas the women are still knocking at the door begging to be admitted like children. And it isn't a question of a level of competency. Now, look, we're talking about whether male chauvinism affects our contemporary society, yes. not just women. Now, Amarie, what do you think? Yes, my concern is a little different in the sense that uh, we're not on the same wavelength. I am less concerned with the social problem you mentioned uh, than I am with the impact of uh, this overstressing of the male component of Western culture. And this, I have outlined in my book, goes back 2,500 years. So it's a very deep-rooted problem. Mm -hmm. My contention is that a great deal of the present woman's liberation movement tries to uh, make it on men's terms according to male values instead of reasserting female values. And this you can trace right through our culture. The danger is that if they do this, they could very well destroy Western society altogether as they have 2,000 years ago in Greece and Rome. Go ahead. Well, I'd, li I'd like to say to this, first, I don't agree with it, but I think the degree to which you might see that happening is because there is only one power structure, and it is male. If you don't become very aggressive, very verbal, very work-oriented, but not to the, point, not to the uh, point of aggression that men exhibit, you will not be able to make inroads into that society because the whole outside society is controlled by the males. It has there always is been. no outside it has society always been controlled in every, by women. It has always been in every society so known to history. Women have to develop up to a point, up to a point no further, masculine characteristics. No further. No further. And what I don't is more, think they, they even can't. want to any don't further. Well, that's it. I don't think they want to any further. I think, I think women have a humanistic approach to society rather than a power urge. At least I hope they do, and I think that's been exhibited so far. This is true. And hopefully, I, I, I think that might save us all. I'll agree with it. I'll agree with it, and I think that for all sorts of reasons, women cannot compete with men on men's terms, and therefore, I suppose the sensible thing for the men to do would be to uh, find some way of sharing that power yes. in those areas where women can contribute the most. 
-hmm. and certainly in, in terms of political power. I find it extraordinary that, our, let's say, after 15 year, 50 years of women's vote, you still have not a single woman in the U.S. Senate, and you've got only 3% in the House. And the same thing holds true in every parliament, in every Western society. Mm -hmm. Yes, and you point out very much in your book, I think, that the East did not make this mistake. I mean, the reason that in China and India, um, women are at the heads of things. The first woman vice president of any country was in China. Uh, the first president of any uh, republic was in, in India. Um, Madame Bandanaraika in Ceylon. I mean, the East is full of, of women, of very, in, in yes. very important yeah. women. Now, why you think that is because... Well, I think this goes back very far. And there again, it's a cultural thing rather than a social thing. Uh, uh, feminine values have been much more appreciated in the East than they have in the West. This is really it. And nobody who travels in the East and has some sensitivity fails to notice and fail to notice that women have a self-assurance in the Orient they do not have in our societies. And even if you move from the U.S. to a country like France, French women have far greater assurance than American women, even though the Napoleonic Code, until very recently, discriminated against them. Mm -hmm. And, where, and in France, they weren't even allowed to have their own bank accounts without no, their husband's No, no bank account. Until World yeah. War II, they could not even have a passport without their husband's permission. They couldn't even leave the country. Yeah. And yet, uh, uh, most families I've known in France are what you would call matriarchal families. Now, what would you say to that? Uh, I, I think women have been in a very peculiar position here in which, in a certain sense, they have had more independence. They have certainly had a great deal less protection but they haven't had the ability to do very much with it. And I think that's what the women's movement has started and is focusing on. But that is, it doesn't do any good to say pick marriage or career if at age 32 with two children, the woman is then kicked out of marriage right. and to supplement mm, yeah, child yeah. support, mm. she has to go get a secretarial job mm. even though she has a college degree because she has never yet had any job experience. I think on the other hand, uh, independent, women like myself and like Amo in the book, whom I think are going to be more and more prevalent in the future, are discriminated against in, in the sense that because it's easier for a man, a middle class man who wants to be successful, because it's easier for him to marry a, wo a woman who will be only a wife and a mother, in other words, who will be secondary to him, he'll be the captain and she'll be the first mate, that they tend to cut the ambitious women out of the whole marriage syndrome and they are then forced to live only with their career and with, you know, perhaps a romantic life, but not with a marriage and uh, Well, I'd like to go back up. to the historical roots of what you are saying. Yeah. First, you were victims of the whole Puritan concept that is largely the Reformation and the Protestant outlook, which is essentially male as compared with the previous Catholic outlook. Mm. This then, compounded by the Industrial Revolution, the rise of the new middle classes, and uh, the deactivation of women uh, uh, who become then, uh, shall we say, status symbols. The yeah. idle wife becomes the, 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 the symbol of a superior social yeah. status. Instead of a yeah. Cadillac. There's one thing that history teaches us, and that is that women work, as a rule, harder and longer than men and feel frustrated if they do not work. Yes. And the worst thing any society can do is to deactivate them. And this is what we are still suffering from. Yes, yes, I definitely think so. One, one of the things I, that, I, that I have in, in my novel, Amo, is the import, absolute, complete importance of recognition of achievement to women. That is essential. It's absolutely essential. And 
until my first novel was published, to be quite frank, as, a, as the kids say, I didn't have no, no respect. Because you see, I was making a living as a model. And until my first novel was bought, and I there, then had a professional level, I, you know, I was just a little, you know, I know. a little thing running around. But that or you felt that you were. That and I was the... also treated like I was, and I think most single women who do not have jobs with some status are in fact treated that way even today. And this is one reason they're banding together in women's movements and that they're so angry. But to go back to the sexual discrimination, doesn't, isn't that true also in a way of men? I mean, the man who has no particular education um, gets a very low type job, doesn't he? Always. I mean, in any society. Always. I Always. think that sometimes women tend to overestimate the ease with which men themselves make it. It is yeah. a much tougher job than, than women think. And while I understand your viewpoint, I think that sometimes there is a tendency to believe that men have it made just because they are male. It's a very tough world for them too, in part because of the overstressing of male values. This is again the thing. That mm -hmm. even this, that sexual discrimination hinders men, M men too. too. Men too. Men too. Especially men, let's say, with a certain uh, sensitivity, uh, a That's certain right. lack of uh, right. uh, aggressiveness, and so on, who sometimes deserve much better than than they get. And this I see all the time. And that yes. uh, idea which is expressed in the word machismo is, is in fact harmful to men also. Absolutely. Yes, I think it's very And historically harmful. so. Yes. 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 Because in the, in the feudal age, uh, do you think it started there with the... Well, you could, uh, you see, uh, it depends on, on what level we, we, we want to see this, but it certainly started first with, the, with Greek culture. The first time that women were completely despised yeah. and in the sense that the, the, the Greeks and we have after them put the emphasis on cultural creation rather than natural creation. Natural creation being the domain of women, that is physiological creation. Mm -hmm. The day you think that the brain is more important than the life that gives birth to it, you devalue automatically and even unconsciously the female role. Mm -hmm. And it's this lack of respect for the fundamental facts of nature, and especially for life itself, that gives to this Promethean culture uh, its essentially masculine character, which is now threatening to destroy us altogether. Um, Alice, do you think that sexual exploitation leads to violence? Yes, I do. In, fa in fact, I suppose if anything is the major theme of AMO, it's the way in which that operates. And by violence, I mean everything from the very subtle devaluing of women to actual mm -hmm. physical brutality. Now, the, gen the genesis of this novel, when I was searching around for a theme for my second novel, was when I realized how many times I had been physically attacked. Mm -hmm. Now, this is something women didn't even talk about a few years ago, and it's still hard to talk about because the victim, in a sense, is always supposed to be to blame for it happening to her. All oppressed people are always to blame for their oppression. In a Many men sense. believe that a woman cannot be raped unless she is willing. I know that. I know that. Let me tell you something. I have a scene in this book that you might, that it's a sadomasochistic scene, and I am trying to show the violence that sometimes exists in sexuality because I think it's hidden. Now, I've discovered in the reviews so far, women see that as sexual reality. And do you know that some read, men read that as pornography? They, in other words, because they put women in a sex object category, mm. they enjoy that like it's not happening to a human creature. Yes. And I uh, find that vile. 
Well, I did. It was quite possible. I, uh, well, I no. <laughs> but that's that's devaluing at its extreme. Hard words break no bones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, but Amory, uh, tell us a little bit about what I think one of the most fascinating things about your book, which is that the uh, you make the change from the patriarchal from the matriarchal to the patriarchal society come when the man discovers that he has a, a role, a creative role in sex, yes, as against uh, merely up a, a to four or five thousand years ago, uh, there was no. Uh, uh, they, they didn't correlate sex with the creation of new life. And as long as this was true, there was no, uh, uh, no father god, no male god. It was only the great goddess, Mother Earth. And at some point, about 4,000 years ago, during the Neolithic period, this discovery dawned on man that he had something to do with it. And from then on, you see, through the changes in the mythologies, the rise of the patriarchal spirit, First, you have the great goddess all alone. Then suddenly, she's got a little male child. And the next step is the male child grows up and becomes both her child and her consort. And before you know it, you're Jehovah, and you, all you've left of the great goddess is Eve, you see? And this is where those symbols are so important, and in a sense, instill a certain masculine spirit into a culture uh, that has to be overcome one way or the other. That is why I think that just the social struggle, let's say, to better your condition, is not enough. You've got to go way beyond this. It's a complete restructuring of all our cultural values that yes. uh, that has yeah. to be done. And I think yeah. also your point, which is terribly interesting, that the in the old days everybody buried their dead. They went back to the great mother, and then when they discovered this interesting fact uh, of the of the paternity of the male, they suddenly started giving the spirit back uh, up to God, to, yes, the, to when, the father God. When the Aryans, yeah. before and, the, yeah. their invasion of India, actually started burning corpses, this was yeah. the first sign of an emancipation. You see, of the whereby male. they didn't they didn't mm-hmm. fall back on earth, but soared towards the spirit. And that is the beginning of the great religions we've known ever since, you see. But why then, in the great languages, in both Hebrew and Arabic, is the word spirit feminine, ruah, Allah, ruah, and in Hebrew, ruah, in both languages, it is a feminine word. But it indicates a male concept, which is the wind, you see. The wind took over from the snake as 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 uh, as a male symbol, the symbol of activity. Uh, but this is also closely connected with uh, 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 with the beginning of yoga, the oh. connection between breathing and thinking, and breath being the uh, the, the the symbol of the spirit. You see, ah, oh, as against it's the brain against the womb. Uh, as against the womb, which you bring out. That's it. Now, um, Alice, would you say that the that there's a possible revision in terms of elevating, so to speak, the womb over the brain, or must women simply improve their brains? No, I think, I think both have to be done. And I think that's what women want to do. I think women, are, women who are interested in having an input in society are very definitely interested in humanizing it. Because I think women, because we haven't been in, in this power urge process, have a much greater empathy with other human beings. And they won't do anything to win. A lot of men will do. Men in power will do anything to win. They will dispose of any number of human beings who happen to be in the way of an 
of an interna international violence push for some bit of territory or, or possession or to win some. I don't think women will do that. Well, now the men would say, you thereby lose, but I don't think that's necessarily so at all. No, you don't lose, but I you would. You don't lose. I would question. I mean, you don't win when you win. We all know that from the experience I know, of our wars. You I don't know, win. I know of one instance where this uh, applies in reverse. I had a long, two long interviews with Indira Gandhi. Yeah. And I knew her father, and she spoke very freely about him. And she said, I am much tougher and more ruthless than my father. My father almost wrecked his rule because he was too kind to his friends, meaning, you know, Krishna Menon and so on. Yeah. I have no friends, she said. I am absolutely ruthless. Yes, but that might, but so might make her more just also. But look, that, if he was that, being kind to his yeah, friend, he's being right. kind to his male colleagues rather than uh, Well, to also the kind of to some of his female colleagues. But <laughs> yeah. as, a, as a whole, you could yeah. say she was, she may be in a sense, she's a better ruler because of that. Yeah. And I think that there is this sort of component in, in women, and I've explained in my book, yeah. that whereas in a cultural sense they are usually deficient, when it comes to civilization, politics, and so on, they rule sometimes much better than men. But Queen, Queen Elizabeth, for, for example, in England, Queen Elizabeth I was one of the toughest women in history. She made wars and she killed, oh, yes. I mean, she killed people, I would have thought more than even her father or her... her well, she, did, she didn't kill the number of wives her father did, did she? She didn't kill wives, but she no, killed I, her No, I think when women are tough, even medium tough, that toughness is focused on more than it is when men are tough. It's always noticed when women do it. Well, except that she did have, I mean, her armies, uh, sh she was absolutely brutal in the fight with Spain and yes. uh, the, the Armada, I mean, the, they, they were all just, uh, let's face it, they were just buccaneers, uh, her, her captains who went out and sank ships. She, she, was, she was very cruel. Well, yeah. the great Catherine of Russia and, yes. uh, but uh, on the whole, I would go along with you and I've given many instances that by and large, they are far more humane than men for the simple reason that they are never really, uh, they never become fanatics to the same extent. They don't believe in abstractions to the same extent, in systems. No, you know? no absolutely And not. so they have a greater regard for life. I quote, for instance, the uh, episode of Rosa Luxemburg, the great uh, German uh, revolutionary, uh, and her, her, her relationship with Lenin and so on. And obviously, she was a far more humane character than any of those male leaders. And quite as bright, her writing's And quite as bright, mm, certainly. Very, very good writer. Well, what would you say, that, that women have to get tough, Alice, or...? Well, I think, uh, we obviously, we have... You see, I think there's no question as to whether men are, women are as intelligent as men, but it's perfectly true that we are not as aggressive. I mean, empathy for people precludes you from being totally mm -hmm. aggressive in your own interest. Mm -hmm. I think we have to become more aggressive in our own interests and in, in the interests of women in society to make inroads. And if we don't, I don't, you know... I fear for the yeah, continuance of the world. Not by becoming pseudo-men, by, by, no. by remaining women. No. No, I think most, I don't think, very young women, I think, often become too, too fanatic, as very young people of all kinds mm -hmm. do. They become too drawn into whatever the new program is. They discover, they discover feminism and they go into it whole hog. But people do with, with all of their causes when they're very young. Then I think they get a little older and they ameliorate and come more toward the center. Yeah, the same thing is true of men. But, <laughs> but I'll tell you one thing. A lot of single women in this town have spent their adult lives really being treated very badly by men. Well, it's funny, but See, the men is, often feel that they are badly <laughs> treated by the women. 
Well, I, I, I think yeah. it's difficult to talk just of one country, uh, yes. after all. You're talking about uh, these United States. Um, I think um, Amory would take through history that on the whole the sexes have um, possibly dealt uh, faithfully with each other or not? Uh, on the whole they have, and I would say this, there's a definite correlation between the happiness of women and the strength of the family structure. A breakdown in the family structure harms men, uh, women more than it does men. That has always been true. And I think this is one of the components of what is happening today. Yeah. That's and that's right. one of the difficulties about uh, the, the relationship of sexual discrimination to history, that it does affect history through the breakdown oh, of the family. Oh, definitely. Completely, yes. Definitely. And you show it does in Rome, don't it you? It did Amari? in Rome, and I think it broke up Rome altogether. But there's a certain lowering of the aff affective level. There's just less, less love going out, you see. And uh, uh, the, the, the compulsion of the family system or the clannish system is a greater burden on the men than it is on the women. That I'm quite convinced. You mean, you the, mean the, the, the necessity? I mean by that the necessity, the compulsion to remain, let's say, faithful, enclosed within a certain system, respect the, 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 the elderly and all that, is a greater burden on men than it is on women. Would you agree? I th no, I think that's simply because women haven't had a chance to express the same kind of freedom that men have. I don't think they want to express it. That's my concern. I think, in fact, they do. I think you'll find that women are certainly as uh, sexual and independent as men, given a chance to. But will they, they be as not... Will they be as, as uh, aggressive or uh, as unpleasant to the aged, for instance? I don't think so. I really don't think so. Well, we're, we're, I've, I've we're coming to the end now. Right. And would you both agree that sexual discrimination has very much affected history and will continue to do so? Yes, I think, I think it has horribly, and I think the fight could, against it is something that all of us are involved could I, in today. Could I take out the word discrimination and just say difference? <laughs> Vive la différence. No. Uh, thank you very no. much. <laughs> thank you very much, Alice Denham, and thank you very much, Amory de Rioncourt, for being with us today on another of the pen portraits on WNYC.